Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Um, I get to introduce our speaker this morning. Um, I spent uh, the entire week down in Houston, Texas. I was asked to work with the uh, PCH board, our partner uh, for the Kenyan Orphanage. They are actually going through a vision process right now, or they, they decided they wanted to go through a vision process, and so they asked me to work with them on that, and um, just as, as we went through, and so it was a, a full and beautiful week um, down there with them. Um, Ann and I flew down on, on Monday, and we flew back on Friday night, and um, I, somewhere along the way, I, I thought, you know, it'd probably not be a great idea if I preached on Sunday, because um, I had like zero time to prep. Um, and so I, I was meeting with, with Mike um, Chibilski, who's our, our vision coach, who took us through the process, and he was mentoring me to get ready for, to work with the PCH group. And, uh, and along the way, I thought, ah, you know, Mike, would you, would you come and, and talk to us? And he's like, absolutely, I would love to do that. Um, and so Mike's going to come and teach this morning, and, and he's, the, for those of you who, who weren't here or went, didn't go through the vision process with us, um, he was our vision coach, and he walked us through it, um, but he's, a, he's also a retired pastor, and he and Di are hanging out at Washington and during this period of, of life, and we're just blessed and honored to have him and his wisdom. Um, so would you join me in welcoming Mike Shabilsky to come and teach us? Thanks. Um, well, good morning, and welcome online to everybody who is uh, following us at, at home and unable to be here. Um, and the uh, pastor asked me to speak about change in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, I said, oh boy, okay. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to kind of do a mini workshop on change. Uh, those of you who went through our vision process probably experienced some of this. Uh, those of you who weren't with us then um, didn't, and it might be new to you. Um, we began our vision process in September of 2019, and I'm so happy that since we began the process, nothing has changed. <laughs> Life's just like it's always been, hasn't it? Um, except we have masks and can't go places and all these kinds of things. Um, so life is changing, and life always changes. Those of us who are older could give you a litany that we could talk for hours about the changes we've seen in our lives, and those things will continue to happen as they have throughout creation. So we're going to look at some aspects of change, and then we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 13, and that may not seem to fit together for you, but hopefully by the end they will. So here's the question I want to ask you. When you think about change, when that word comes to your mind, what words come to your mind? What? Chaos. Chaos. That's a good word. What other words come to mind when you think about change? What? Renewal. Renewal. Okay, there's a one, one for the positive side. <laughs> Uncomfortable. Two for the negative side. Any other words? What was it? Cleansing? Okay. 
Now we're at two and two. Fear. And the negatives jump ahead, three to two. Let me ask one real simple question. How many of you love change in your life? Raise your hand. All right. We've got four or five strange people. The rest of us are normal. Um, change is not a word we love to hear. Let's go to the next slide. What do you think comes to God's mind when the word change comes up? What? <laughs> what? Finally? <laughs> Finally on whose part? <laughs> he what? He doesn't? Never? What's the story of the scriptures? Isn't the story of the scriptures God rescuing his creation to restore it back to his dwelling place and what he intended it to be? Isn't that the end? What has to happen to get there? Everything changes. The scriptures are filled with change. From the beginning to the end, it is always about change. The change of persons, the change of communities, the change of nations, the change of what it's like to be human. And the change is introduced all through the Old Testament and into the visible presence of Christ. To me, and I would hope they do to you, do they not seem to be the opposite of the way everything is? That's change. Anybody think of a Bible story about change? Joseph? There's a little bit of change. How many changes in life did Joseph go through? Noah? There's a heck of a change. Moses? Peter? Jacob and Esau, Abraham, story after story of change. Change is what God brings. The movement of God is about change. It is never about being stagnant. If that's true, then as Christians, when we hear the word change, we should say, yay! God is with us. The story of the scriptures is all about change that have occurred, changes that are occurring, changes that will occur. The Bible is God's story of change. We don't like change, but ironically, we always want change. I can think of several people I want them to change. <laughs> Nobody I live with or anything like that. None of my kids. Can't you start, just think in your head, do you have a list of people that you say, boy, I wish they would change? Do you have any life circumstances that you say, I wish this would change? Any other, any other his, history that you say, I wish I could change that? <laughs> but when we say change, we go, no. It's okay if we think of it, but it doesn't seem to be okay if God thinks of it. 
or if other things bring it. Let's go to the next slide. And here's some fantasies. Or nope, there's, yep, that's it. Okay, we can grow vertically without change. And we can change without pain. Those are myths. You cannot grow without pain. Even physically, when you're young and you're growing up, I know I went through this, I, I grew up height-wise rather fast, and my legs used to kill me. And the doctor used to say, growing pains. Goes with life. Then sometimes we get oversized and we need to undersize and there's pain and that kind of physical change. But we cannot change. We cannot grow without change and we cannot change without pain. There is no such thing as staying the same. Even though when our kids start to get a little bit older and especially they hit the teenage years and we wish, oh, I wish they were just little again or whatever. But you can't stop it. Things just always keep moving. And that's true individually and it's true corporately. That's true of us. We cannot grow as a body of Christ, as a community of members of the body of Christ without change. And there's pain that goes with that. Let's go to the next slide, which is a couple sets of fears. The first is the fear that we'll change too much. And the second that goes with that is the fear that we'll change too little. Then there's the fear that we're going to change too fast. And then there's the fear that we're going to change too slow. And that is going on, that dynamic is among us. There are people, as we've talked about the vision, and as our pastor has led us in saying, and this is changing, that's changing, and all of you who have been participating here for, since we began the vision process, have things changed? Absolutely. And some people are saying, oh boy, let's go faster. And some people are saying, I don't know. I think we need to slow down. And some people are saying, this, we got way to go. Let's keep moving. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And other people are going, this is all too much. We need to take a step back. How far is too far? How fast is too fast? Can we move too slow? Can we move too... This is a dynamic. And again, amongst us, all of us have thoughts and feelings about this. All of us do. We have our opinions. We come with all kinds of circumstances and our own understanding. And we are caught up with some people are saying, I don't know, this is a little uncomfortable. Some people are saying, oh boy, isn't this great? And we're seeing different experiences and people seeing this in different ways because we come from all kinds of perspectives that we bring here. All those dynamics are at work in the body of Christ. And sometimes we can't even pin down ourselves what we're thinking. And we react differently at different times. Let's go to the next slide. There's leadership without a plan. Have any of you been in a business, some sort of employment situation, a group, a church that seems to operate like that? 
Guess what? Another change. Oh boy, another change. Oh, we just do, didn't we just start that last? Now we're switching that already. Oh, we've got another way of doing this. A new manager, a new idea, a new pastor, new ideas. We're changing everything. And all kinds of things are happening all the time, and it's very frustrating, is it not? Doesn't seem like there's any direction. And, all, and sometimes our families look like that. Sometimes our own lives look like that. I'm confused, I don't know what to do, I want to do this, I want to do that, we're choosing this, we're choosing that, grabbing this, grabbing that. People fall into, into routines and they change jobs all the time and they're doing things all the time because they're always looking for something because they don't have a vision in their life. Now let's look at the plan when we have a vision. What's different? There's difference is that there's a direction. But inside that direction, when things are changing, you're learning. Are we not learning as a community of believers about what God is up to? How many of you have encountered new things in your life in the last two, year, two and a half years since we started this process? Even from our format on Sunday has changed and all kinds of things have changed. And some things we do, and then we go, I don't know about that, and then this looks different, but maybe we should try it this way, maybe we should do it that way. How many noticed the change up front last week? Only old people. <laughs> I mean, those are the, sorry, we're the only ones who raised our hands. Bridget was in the middle, not playing the organ, or the what, keyboard, sorry old-time pastor coming out, the keyboard. It was different. I liked it. I went up to her afterwards and said, that was really great. This week, no. It looks like that, because sometimes we come into church and say, that's the way we did it, therefore that's what we're going to do. And it's going to be that way always. But things are being tried out. And so even though we have a vision... And I think we would all agree that God spoke through the vision team and we're on board with the vision, but it's, church still looks like that because there's still change going on. And so God has started this new story. He's actually writing a new story for our community. And as good observers of the story, some of us start to not like the story. I don't like where this story is going. I wish I could change the story. And we get a little anxious. So let me show you this next slide. This is a little outline about something we call anxiety. Now, if you're in the medical field, some of you are here, and you have someone who comes in sick, what's your desire? Your desire is to get them stable, right? homeostasis, I think they call that. I've been in physical crisis situations and people worked on me to get me stable. Okay? So stable is a good place to be for a while. After, in my own medical experience, and God literally brought me back from the dead, I was brain dead for 36 minutes. So those of you who need an example of healing, I'd be glad to talk to you even though I was unconscious and didn't know anything about it for four days. 
But after that, the doctor said, you need to change some things. You need to move to a different place. So what this says is we go from stabilization to destabilization. That's change. We go from the way things are to something new. And see that little squiggly line in between those two? That's called anxiety. We get anxious when things change. Do we not? Some react more physically upset than others. Lots of things that relate to us, are, to our own physicality, is about anxiety. We don't like to be anxious. We all get anxious at times. I'm anxious this morning. I always get anxious when I have to speak like this. I don't ever want to stop doing that and just to get too comfortable. That's not a good feeling. But we don't like anxiety. And so sometimes when a community, a group of people, start to move from stable to destabilization, and God deliberately created destabilization in our community, he gave us a vision. Did he not? These four images express what that vision looks like. Those of you who have been present with us know what those four images are. Jimmy even mentioned a couple of them last week. I, I carry... In my Bible, I have my, um, too many papers, but I carry my pictures of the vision. So I have them to remind me. So that vision destabilized us, creates the anxiety, all those things about too fast, too slow, too much, too soon, all this stuff about change. And when we get anxious, what do we want to do? We want to go back. So where it was safe, I just, when you're sick, what do you always just say? I just wish I'd get better. I want to be better again. You want to go back to the way it was. Now in communities, there's a danger. In businesses, there's a danger. In our lives, there's a danger. If we go back. That's something called the doom loop. Destabilization starts, we start to move through it, we get too anxious and we jump back to the way it was. Every time you do that, it gets harder to change. That's why it's called the doom loop, because the more you keep wanting to go back, the more difficult it is to change. If you want to know what that's like in real life, look at our country. It has created a whole atmosphere in our politics. Things are moving too fast, things are changing. We want it the way it used to be. In whatever aspect of how you look at that, that's going on in our dynamic. Part of COVID and the rise up to the challenge to everything was, I'm not gonna wear a mask, I want my freedom, da 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 da. I want it like it used to be. I'm trying to argue which was right, which is wrong, but those are pro. Those are processes of anxiety that result in real things in our lives, and we've seen them on a big scale as change hits. But changes always hit. It wasn't the first pandemic, it's not the first time of political craziness. And you look in our world and our news every day is filled with crises of change. People in another country in the eastern part of Europe five months ago probably sat just like we think and we sat now 
that today in the Ukraine, their lives are very different. And they're filled with anxiety. And we just want to go back. But can it ever go back? Can life ever really go back? God is leading us through the change. And the irony is, once we get through the change and go through the destabilization, we get to what's called the new orientation, which is really what? Stable. And what happens? Change is going to happen again. Is, is our vision the final word God has to say to us? I doubt it. How long will it last and what will it look like till he moves us to the next thing? I don't know. Could it be next week? Sure. Could it be in 10 years? Sure. But it's going to happen again. Is your life going to change at all? Yes, it will. Guaranteed. Things are going to happen and life's going to change. Those of you with little children, those children are going to grow up. Someday you're going to be grandparents. And you're going to, your children are going to come over to your house and you're going to say, how did we get to this? How am I so old? How are they old? I have kids who are old. And that's crazy. That anxiety starts when we, a new story's being written. And we love to want to change that story ourselves. So we're a community that's in that tension. We're in that anxiety. And that tension, ironically, can often show up as the gifts do. That's the connection. Since I've been here, at least, and that's been a few years, there is more attention being paid to the gifts, is there not? For some, I know pastors, I, I have a group of pastors I meet with every Thursday, and I, a couple of weeks ago I brought up to them, I said, what do you guys think, what do you do with the gifts of the Spirit? Where are you at with that? Most of them never really taught much about it. I was in a seminar a few years ago, four or five years ago, with a group of pastors and helping to lead that seminar, and we asked the people, in the, the pastors in the room, how many of you taught, have taught on the Holy Spirit in the last five years? And there were 70 pastors in the room. Do you know how many hands went up? One. There seems to be something, when you start to bring up the gifts, there seems to be something that stirs. And we're supposed to be a community that embodies the gifts of the Spirit. Yet over history, and in, even in pastors I know in churches I've been a part of, the gifts bring this tension, this anxiety, because there's change. Let me make one big statement about the spiritual gifts, and I honestly can't remember if, if Pastor Jimmy has said this or not, but, so I may be repeating, but I just felt I should say this. The gifts of the Spirit have one major function. All of them have the same function. God is with us, and He is at work. That is the function of the spiritual gifts. That's what the spiritual gifts are all about. God is among us, and He is at work. That's what the gifts represent. That should be normal for the church, is it not? But it isn't. Most of us aren't even alert to how the gifts are working. 
And we shouldn't have to walk around with signs that says, this is my gift, and I'm at work now. <laughs> we should, it's just how the church moves and how it lives together, but we should be recognizing those things. And we should be learning about those things for ourselves so I understand how that works. I find it ironic that the very things God uses to make himself present throughout history have divided the church. And it seems to be especially prevalent among what's called the sign gifts. The sign gifts are the gifts of healing and the gifts of tongues. Those kind of get us on edge. One of the reasons they get us on edge is because those are the gifts that are often counterfeited. See, the enemy's at work too. He does not like God's presence and his work amongst his people. So you find those gifts are counterfeited. I've been in circumstances where I've seen those gifts and it's been God. No doubt, including my own life. I've also been in circumstances where those gifts have seemingly appeared, but they're not. They were not the presence of God. And so those gifts seem to scare us. They're sensational. They're outward. And when practiced, they are beautiful and they are amazing. And they're probably uncomfortable when you experience them for the first time. And they don't always make sense. I, my own circumstances of having a massive heart attack and being brain dead, I was unconscious and didn't know anything. It wasn't because I prayed. I was here and then I wasn't. But literally people all around the world prayed and for some reason God healed me. Miraculously, even to the, the doctor saying, he, he's told me every time I see him, Mike, because I, I, I always thanked him. I, every time I saw him, I said, you know, thank you. He would say, I didn't do anything, Mike. It was your God who did that. At the same time, I've prayed for my granddaughter who's had a, a back issue for three years. She has a back issue. Now, she's having surgery. April 27th, there's a prayer request for you. Maybe God's using that to heal her. He does use doctors and medicines to heal. So those gifts come with questions. Those gifts can sometimes come with confusion. And so that brings us to our text today. And our text, again, after the conversation we've just had, may seem odd. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which you've all heard. I doubt if there's anybody here who hasn't heard 1 Corinthians 13. But we're going to hear it again. And I'm going to ask you to do something I'm going to ask you to stand and let's read it together. Okay? We're going to do a little Jewish thing. You stand for the word of God and you sit for the word of man. So we're going to stand for the word of God. So join me in repeating these words. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, 
I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You can be seated. Now, as a pastor, almost every wedding I did had either all or part of that in the wedding ceremony. Um, they're beautiful words, are they not? Poetic. Everybody loves those words. It's hard to argue with anything in there. But I want to consider two very important things about what Paul is saying. First, notice where the passage is in the book we call 1 Corinthians. What is Pastor Jimmy, what chapter has Pastor Jimmy been preaching on? Chapter 12, which is about spiritual gifts. What's chapter 14 about? Chapter, chapter 14 is about spiritual gifts. What's chapter 13 about? Spiritual gifts. It's in the context of spiritual gifts. It's in a three-chapter series. It is not written about marriage. It is not written about romance. It's the centerpiece of Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts. It's not written to a couple. It's written to a community. Why? Because the gifts bring the presence of God. And the presence of God brings change within the community of God's people. The gifts bring challenge. The gifts bring diversity. And without healthy instruction about the gifts like our pastor is giving us, they can be confusing and they can be dividing. They can be agents of change that move us too fast. They can be agents of change that some don't think are fast enough. They're different. They cause pain. They cause challenge. They cause growth. And Paul knew that. So this church, where he's teaching them about spiritual gifts, love is in the aspect of spiritual gifts. 
That's the context. I'm not saying you shouldn't use it in your wedding, or if you used it in your wedding, it was some kind of evil. It's just not the context. There's a second thing that helps us understand this passage, and that's to know the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a mess. It was crazy. It was full of problems, full of division, full of outright sin. Corinth was one of the largest and most important cities of Greece. In Paul's day, with the surrounding villages and towns that supported it, it was about 100,000 people. This is not a little, you know, few huts on the side of the road. This is about 100,000 people. It was a port city. It was very cosmopolitan. It was very upscale. A lot of commerce was done there. There were a lot of wealthy people there. And it was a very diverse culture. And it was a culture that offered a lot of attractions, what we would call a lot of distractions to people who were trying to follow this Jewish rabbi who rose from the dead. Here's a list of some of the problems Paul was addressing. Here's what Paul was trying to address. First, the church was divided and arguing over who was the most popular teacher. That's what they were doing. This guy's my favorite. No, I like this guy better. This guy's wrong. This guy's right. That didn't go well. Some in the church were tolerating incest. Members of the church were taking each other to court. Wouldn't it be great if we came to court or came to church on Sunday and Dean is suing me? And we're going to court tomorrow. Praise the Lord, Dean. <laughs> Wouldn't that make things a little uncomfortable? Because you know what would happen? I'm going to presume something of Dean, I'll confess something to myself. I'm telling my friends all about Dean and all the things he's doing wrong. And Dean's telling his friends about me that I'm an idiot. And our friends are sitting here. Want to be in a church like that? That's the church at Corinth. Here's another thing they were doing. They were excusing sexual immorality all around them. They were confused about marriage and singleness. Some were eating food offered to idols, but they were eating it in a way that confused people in and out of the church. And some were taking part in feasts for idols. They were arguing in the church about something about head coverings. Just so you understand the undertone of that, that's racial. That's a Jewish side against a European side, arguing about head coverings in the church. Yes, you should. No, you can't. I don't have to do that. Yes, you do. No, you don't. And they're arguing. They're arguing about the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, the rich people are making a big dinner for themselves, while the poor people had nothing. Boy, that went over big. They were, some were denying the resurrection of Jesus. And lastly, they were abusing the spiritual gifts. Welcome to the church at Corinth. Ever been in a church that bad? You probably have. <laughs> There's a lot of churches that are 
wrestling and struggling and in chaos. Those problems could really be summarized with one underlying issue. Those who were choosing to be believers were having a great deal of difficulty separating from the culture around them. Because the culture around them was attractive. Looked a lot like our culture. That's pretty attractive. There are lots of things out there that look pretty good. And in the church, those, they were bringing those things in the church because they were normal to them. But they were called to be part of a new culture. They were called to be part of something that was changing them and changing the community and changing life in their circumstances all around them. God was present and active through the gifts of the Spirit. So Paul takes chapter 12 to re-explain the gifts to them. In chapter 14, he talks to them about some of the issues with those gifts. But in chapter 13, he interjects this passage about love. This beautiful package or chapter that even outside the church, in the secular world, looks at 1 Corinthians 13 and goes, wow, isn't that beautiful? Hallmark's made a fortune out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And people love that stuff. And it looks amazing. In fact, it looks like a dream when you first read through it. But it was never meant to be just a dream. It's misunderstood often because we don't understand the deeper meaning of what's there because we only apply it to marriage. And how many people have marriages that look like that? The word for love in this chapter is agape. Agape is referred to as the love of God, but it is also the love of those who claim to love him and to follow him and to serve him. It was the way to love God and the way to love people, all people. This thing called agape is not emotional. It has nothing to do with your emotions. It is choice. It is all about choices you make. It's not something you just enjoy. It is about choosing the right actions. Agape love is love in action. It is not a feeling. It's not that, boy, I just love Jesus. No, if you love Jesus, it is actions that demonstrate that love. It's not based on attraction. See the difference with romantic love and why it doesn't apply to marriage? It requires a commitment. It requires sacrifice. It is offered to strangers. You don't want to do that in marriage. It is offered to the unlovable. It expects nothing back. That's the love of God towards us, is it not? Although, aren't I describing God's love towards us, which we're called to then love others? Who did Christ die for on the cross? Everyone. Does everyone love him back? It's not about what you get back. It is unconditional. Agape love is to be the mark of the church. Agape love is what represents Christ to the world. 
Agape love amongst God's people is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. It is why we are a new way of being human in the church. Let me go back to one section of 1 Corinthians. Verses 4 to 7, those four verses. Listen, listen as I read to you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Each of those, there's 15 things there. 15 things that represent seven actions and seven non-actions that express agape love. That's why I said agape love is a choice. It calls me to do things, and it calls me to not do things. Love is patient. I failed at that last night. Didn't do so well in my romantic relationships. I'm called to choose to be patient with all y'all. In the community, I have to be patient with all of you. By choice, I have to choose that. I have to choose to be kind. Just to be kind. Kind doesn't take much, does it? A smile, a handshake, a greeting, just in the, the bigness of a Sunday morning. And excuse me, a sharing, all kinds of ways to be kind. It does not envy. Here's where the gifts can really be dangerous. What if you got a gift that I don't have? And people seem to be attracted to your gift, but nobody notices my gift. We have several people in the church with the gift of serving that you never see who they are. Because you show up and the coffee's there. That's God's presence with us is the coffee. Because some of our brothers and sisters came early before you needed to be here to prepare that for you is a simple little convenience. Not going to change the world, but it's there for anyone who comes in. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Where do we dishonor others the most? The little chit-chat conversations that can often go on. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. It always protects. It rejoices in the truth. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. That's the way of the church. It's not meant to be a dream. That's meant to be the church. As we go through changes, as we go through and become more alert to the gifts among us, 
the opportunities for conflicts and issues rise. They don't fall, they rise. Because we all have differences of opinion, different likes, different dislikes. It's important for every one of us to be mindful of what is happening in us. It's essential that every one of us is willing to examine ourselves regularly to see if agape love is coming out of me or not. Because you see, you can act certain ways that look like something, but in here it's something else. So it's not how others see me. It's how I see me and how I let God see me. But he always knows me anyways. I'm only under, operating under some illusion that he doesn't. It's why Paul wrote the letter to the church in Corinth to remind them what the church is all about. It's about first receiving the agape love of God. Then it's about living with others and loving others with the agape love of God, others who have countered that, encountered that love. And then it is showing that love to everyone else. Agape love is not exclusive to the body of Christ. It's for everyone, just like Jesus came. So as we move forward following the vision that God has given us, with the gifts of the Spirit becoming something we are more alert to, and as God's presence among us continues to be active and visible and alive, church, let us love one another. Washington, God is calling us to make that dream a reality in the body of Christ. Um, Bridget and the team are going to come up, and I'm going to um, ask the prayer team to get up and move out. Um, and I'm going to give a brief closing prayer, but here's what the closing really is about as the team prays. Um, some of us may need repentance. Some of us may need understanding. Some of us need to be prodded to move forward quicker. Some of us may be called to pull back a little tighter. But here's what's going on in the prayer team. And God really emphasized to me I needed to say this. Here's what's going on in the prayer team. God is at work. And what you're going to hear when you go to them, when people pray for you, they say things that come from their heart. I went to, to Scott before service to pray for me for speaking. He said one word that I needed to hear. I didn't tell him anything that I needed to hear or what I needed to be prayed for about. He just said it, and in that, he said one word that clicked with my heart. Who spoke that word? God did. That was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. So when you go to get prayer from people, they may say a word of wisdom over you, a word of knowledge over you. They may express a comment that comes to their heart. They may express a word of prophecy, which is not necessarily, here's what's going to happen to you, but just a word from God. They may give you a sense of discernment. On the other hand, as they listen to you, they represent God to you. They are acting in the priesthood of all believers and listening to your confession, and it's not them who's hearing it, it's God. 
So when you go to them for prayer, you are speaking with and hearing from God through their gifts. Is that not true? Because the gifts are God's presence among us and his activity among us. <laughs> Who would not want to take advantage of that? So as, as Bridget plays and plays through a song, I encourage you, if you want to repent over some act of agape that's missing in your life, or something that needs to be present in your life, go. If you just want to pray and ask God for something for you, go. If you just go to them and say, I just want to thank God and just I'm here for you to pray over me, listen. Listen to what is being said. There's going to be a word, a phrase, there's going to be something that God has for you because the living God is present among us and he is active this moment right now. Isn't that amazing? So take some time and go meet God with someone. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.